This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. You're listening to a Business Radio special from the 2019 Wharton People Analytics Conference. Here again, Cade Massey. Hello and welcome back. This is a Business Radio special presentation from the 2019 Wharton People Analytics Conference. I'm your host, Cade Massey. I'm also co-host of Wharton Moneyball here on the channel and a faculty co-director of Wharton People Analytics. We are on the floor of the conference, people milling about coming out of the program. Joined in the next 15 minutes, delighted to welcome Stephanie Tignor. Stephanie is a people scientist and analytics lead at Humu. We'll hear more about Humu and what that is. But Stephanie, thank you for joining us, stepping away from the program. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Well, we're glad to have you. We're glad to have you at the conference. Stephanie presented, she was one of our first presentations yesterday, one in the first, the very first section, and that wasn't an accident. We wanted to throw some excitement out there up front. We heard from Stephanie about Humu. Humu is a new company doing some really interesting work. In some ways, they are the biggest venture out there on how can we take the, the best of technology in people analytics, the best of social science in people analytics, and apply that in a way that helps organizations and people. That's kind of the way I think about Humu, and I think it's one of the reasons people are excited about Humu. Can you give us um, a little background on what the organization is? But, you know, in fact, let's first get background on you, because it's not like you were born working for a new venture in the Bay Area. Correct, yeah. So I used to be a professor at Northeastern University in Boston, Massachusetts, uh, and there was teaching consumer psychology and researching how personality and emotions can be used to predict behavior. Mm-hmm. And prior to that, I obtained my PhD also at Northeastern studying social and personality psychology. Mm-hmm. So very strong academic background. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you a question real quickly? This is kind of the, the nature of what we do here at this conference. How well can we predict behavior from personality and emotions? You said that's what you teach and research. Like, how, what, how would you summarize how well we can do with that? You know, unfortunately, not well enough. Mm-hmm. We're getting there. And definitely the power comes when you use both. I can mm-hmm. definitely say that. So individually, just looking at traits or individually, just looking at emotional states, things like fear and anger, those will give you some power. I've found that when you combine them, you get much more. Mm-hmm. Is it, do you think it's safe to say that one of the troubles is that it's not just that we're, we're not great at predicting with those inputs, but that we think we are? We've got this kind of intrinsic belief that we can read someone immediately and therefore extrapolate and we can understand the consequence of certain emotions. Is that right? Absolutely, yeah. And my, my grad school advisor, Randy Colvin, studied, did a lot of work studying the good judge of personality, he called it. Mm-hmm. And he found that it's actually a skill and there are only a subset of individuals who are really effective judges of personality. And so mm-hmm. people may think they are, most mm-hmm. people think they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in fact, there's a unique special subset of individuals who really have this capability above and beyond. And how big is that subset? Are we talking a third, a tenth, a fifth? I believe, I can't, don't quote me on the percentages. I can't remember exactly, but it's definitely smaller than you would think. Okay. Okay. This is a little sobering. All right, so that's your background, and you're teaching at Northeastern, and then you jump somehow from that, which, by the way, is in a different part of the country, to Mountain View, California, to work for Hulu. How did that transition take place? Yeah, absolutely. So I had been following Laszlo Bach, our CEO, for a while, and was really excited about his new venture. 
And I had this unique opportunity. Someone I had worked with previously uh, invited me to come out and meet the founders and see what it was about right at the very beginning. And mm -hmm. I had dabbled in leaving academia. I had thought about it, but there were aspects of academia that I really loved, mm -hmm. the exploration, the research, you know, pushing a field forward. And so I'm not going to lie, I was a little bit nervous. Mm -hmm. And then I met the co-founders and I just thought, this is such a unique and amazing opportunity to take the things that I love, research and advancing knowledge, and apply it to a product that could potentially see millions and millions of people and help make their lives better every single day. So I took the leap. Okay, pretty compelling. <laughs> Tell us more about what that product is. So Humu was kind of in stealth mode for a while. They weren't very public about their efforts, building out the capabilities. But now you're talking about it. Now you have a track record. You're building a track record with companies. And you're growing. You were What employee number were you? Is that an okay question to ask? Yeah, I believe I was number seven. Okay, and now, like and now that. you're 50. So two years later, yeah. you guys have grown to 50. You just changed. You just moved office space. What is Humu doing exactly? What is the product or service? Well, first of all, I will say it is absolutely thrilling to be able to talk about this publicly. Because yeah, as right. you mentioned, we were in stealth mode. And I was always terrified I was going to be the one that ruined it and spilled <laughs> the beans too soon. So... It's great to be able to talk so freely. Um, so Humu is a behavioral change company that's building happier and healthier, more productive employees and organizations through the power of nudges. And so specifically what we do is we go into organizations and we offer an employee diagnostic, a survey, and we see what's happening within the organization. We get the voices of employees. We combine that information with HR data. So think things like promotion and tenure and manager status. Mm -hmm. And together for each individual team within that organization, we serve up what are the most important priorities that they should be working on to build a stronger and happier culture. So I'm assuming that that is then a blend of the data that you gathered in the firm with hypotheses and theory you guys know about successful organizations and healthy people. Is that right? You've got kind of a library in your head of things that drive successful organizations and healthy individuals. You collect data on a firm and say, okay, these things are clicking, these things aren't clicking, these are holes they might address. Is that kind of the way to think about exactly, it? Exactly, yeah. So everything that we measure within every organization, the research has shown and we've validated in our own work to be super important and predictive of things like happiness and retention and productivity at work. Now, what's interesting is that we've found that the things that matter at one organization are not necessarily the things that matter in another organization. So the things that are super impactful and are really driving the behaviors that people care about culturally for one group may be totally different in another group. And so that's why it's so important to combine all these signals together and do it uniquely for every organization. It's interesting you say that because when Laszlo Bach, the co-founder here of Humu, was running people operations at Google for 10 years or whatever it was, those guys were pretty intent on, you know, whatever research might say, they wanted to replicate it inside, or at least test it inside their firm before they really acted on it. They wanted to be know for sure that it worked. And what you're saying is that's because, in fact, what works in organizations varies across organizations. Depends on other factors. All right. So very useful. All right. So then what do you do with this information? Because, you know, there are a lot of folks out there selling insight about organizations, and there are plenty of folks who'd be happy to run an assessment and tell you what you're missing. Absolutely, yeah. And that gets to the most important part of our product, and that's the nudge engine. So we take that information. We take information about you as an employee, that descriptive, that demographic information. We marry it, things like manager status, things like tenure. Marry it with how you feel about work on a daily basis. And together, we use that information to serve up nudges unique to you that can help you act on the things that are the top priority for you to improve upon culturally. So what do you, what do you mean by nudge? How do you guys define a nudge? Great question. So... 
typically they're, you can think of them as just small reminders in the workplace each day. And so an example might be an email. So say we learn that you need to speak up more at work, that you know, you're not using your voice effectively in meetings. We might send you an email before a big meeting that says, here are some effective strategies to help you speak up in this meeting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how have you found employees react to these nudges and is there variance in the way they react? So if different things matter for different organizations, might it be the case that different approaches matter for different individuals within those organizations? Absolutely. And that's why our nudge engine is always growing and learning and refining to the individual. Mm -hmm. It's just like if you think about, you know, on Spotify or Apple Music, when you're listening to songs and you have the radios on Pandora and they show you what songs they think you might be interested in, they don't always get it 100% right. And so it's important to have those feedback loops so that we can continue to learn and evaluate and grow and provide the most relevant and important contact unique to the individual. That's interesting. Okay, so you're basically giving them a chance to like thumbs up, thumbs down each nudge after the fact? It depends on the organization, but we do collect those feedback loops. Absolutely. Some people, you know, chafe, they've chafed early days technology by only given the choice of thumbs up or thumbs down. So what's the range of feedback options you typically elicit from people? So it really varies by organization. So I can't go into specifics on that, unfortunately. (laughs) All right. But we can ask about things like behavior and feelings and um, attitudes. Okay. Okay. And that, I mean, that seems terrifically important. I hadn't heard about that element of it. And so yeah. presumably you're learning not just about how this particular woman who's running this organization feels about nudges, but you're aggregating that. And so you're learning, you're learning about similar people in other organizations. And so the collective learning would be more powerful than any one organization. Exactly. So what's behind this is, this is powerful idea, powerful concept. There sounds like there must be a lot of work underneath it. And I know that there's the social science piece, and that's something that you bring to the organization because you're trained in social science. There must be a big technology piece. What does the technology part of the firm look like? Yeah, so we have uh, two branches of our organization that work really closely with one another, and that's the people science team, which is my team. So we're domain experts thinking about how people behave at work, emotions and behavior. We have a behavioral economist. um, We have a cognitive neuroscientist. We have people who are experts in organizational industrial psychology. And then on the other side, we have the engineering side of the firm. And these are people who are used to building technology and building it for scale. Mm -hmm. And so our parts of the organization have to work together so closely if we really want this thing to work. Mm -hmm. And I've had such exciting and unique collaborations with those people because we're approaching the same problem, but we often have completely different lenses when we're approaching it. Mm -hmm. And what always results is something far better than any individual could have created. If you can handle it, right? If you can handle that tension, that disagreement. So that raises an interesting question about how does to what extent does Humu you know consume their own product so do you guys have a nudge system within Humu absolutely yeah I get nudges myself well okay so tell me as a user of these things now we're not talking about you as a you know as a as employee six but you as a user of these these organizational related nudges what has been your experience Oh, I love them. So I'll give you a concrete example. The other day I was walking into a one-on-one with my manager and right before I walked in, I got an email that said, we've been working on giving each other feedback and uh, asking for feedback. And so right before walking into this meeting, I got an email that gave me two really effective strategies of how I could ask for better feedback in the meeting. And I implemented it. It worked great. What's an example of one of these strategies? So this is a good general tip for people. 
Yeah. So one of the things that you can do, um, this is really about, I guess, receiving feedback, but one of the things that we recommend is writing down critical feedback if you receive it. And so then you can save it for later. So mm -hmm. it can be really difficult to process in the moment. We know mm -hmm. that can be an emotionally charged event for people. Mm -hmm. And you might miss some crucial details that actually could be really helpful for you. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. writing down that critical feedback, revisiting it a little bit later. When I was an academic, I used to do the same thing with reviews of my papers, <laughs> getting right. the right. feedback and then setting it aside and looking at it a week later, yeah. we found can be really effective. Good, 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 good. Mm -hmm. All right. So last question. What have you learned as you move from academia into industry? This conference is very much a blend of academics and industry, and we philosophically want that blend. We want both academics and practitioners on the stage together because we believe in the value that comes out of that. What have you learned have you, as you've made that transition? I know you'd worked a little bit in industry before, but you were in the ivory tower in Boston, and now you're in you know, Silicon Valley. So what's something you've learned from that transition? I would say one of the big things that I've learned is that it's working at a startup is actually remarkably similar to working in academia because mm. there's so much left uncovered and undiscovered at a startup. You know, you're starting from the ground, you're building something that the world has never seen before. And so it's so important to understand deeply how it works, the mechanisms behind it, the drivers behind it, which is almost identical to what I used to do in academic research. Mm -hmm. And so I really expected it to be a completely different world. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I'm finding them to be more similar than I ever would have expected. Fascinating. All right. Listen, Stephanie, thanks for taking the time to be with us. Thanks for stepping away from the conference. Thank you again for being here at the conference. Delighted to have you. We wish the best to you and your work with Humu and enjoy the rest of the conference. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Stephanie Tignor, people scientist and analytics lead at Humu. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.